This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Kupse from The Jimmy Dore Show, The Majority Report, Counterspin, The Rachel Maddow Show, Media Matters, The Young Turks, and The David Pakman Show. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, this episode about the media, like an immunization against disease, may cause physical illness in some listeners. Over this past weekend, we marked the passing of CBS newsman Mike Wallace. It was truly the end of an era when television news relied on something now quaint and out of date. News. (laughs) 60 Minutes was a top-rated show for decades, but it had a fatal flaw. The show expected its audience to be smart and want to learn about something. Hey, that's why we have PBS and they're always broke. Since Mike Wallace left TV, his accomplishments have become irrelevant. We all used to watch him interview bad guys and root for him to find the truth, especially when it was somebody we really hated, like Ayatollah Khomeini or Barbara Streisand. (laughs) Now we're all rooting for ourselves. Everybody's opinion cancels out everybody else's opinion, which requires increasing levels of cruelty. To prove this, you only have to go on YouTube, pick any clip, and read the fourth person's comment. (laughs) The fourth commenter always viciously attacks the third commenter because the fourth commenter is always a jerk. (laughs) Then a newcomer, the fifth person, will try to find common ground amongst everyone, and for this, the sixth person will impugn his sexuality. Mainstream journalism used to spend a lot of time investigating corruption, but that's all over now because all the good money is in corruption. So we shall not see another Mike Wallace again. And even if we do, he'll be interviewing Jennifer Lawrence about the Hunger Games. an interesting story here let me get to this today the FCC is going to be voting on a very simple law rule really rule because as you know if you are a broadcast network ABC NBC CBS you are renting our airspace to broadcast your programming And if you're a local uh, station, you're renting our airspace to broadcast your programming. It is owned by all of us. Now, in this country, we rent it to you for the horribly oppressive price of zero dollars. As opposed to, say, like Japan, where they raise hundreds of millions of dollars a year renting out, leasing out their broadcast spectrum to TV. Now, uh, first we did this because, of course, TV was a new technology. And it needed a leg up to go after radio. I think we've passed that now. But that's not what this is about. It's not about raising funds. As it stands now, the FCC's three acting commissioners face a simple question. 
Should they vote to require television and radio stations to post data about their political ad sales in a publicly accessible online database? Right now, they have to keep these records, but they keep them down at the station. And in radio, the station could be, God knows, thousands of miles away. Because it's just a relay station in the local one. It's very difficult for the public to be aware of this. They will vote as to whether or not these should be online and so that they could be publicly available and accessible. And the reason why the National Association of Broadcasters has been fighting tooth and nail, lobbying, taking people out to dinner, calling senators, calling congressmen, lean on these FCC uh, commissioners, is because the dirty little secret is that the hundreds of millions of dollars hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars that are raised by our politicians billions across the country that are raised by our politicians that are that is so corruptive of our political discourse most of that goes to buying ad time on radio and television and the broadcasters don't want you to see that because then they will be it will be clear to the broader society that they are complicit in this corrosive impact on our government and then there could be some move to maybe restrict their licenses right now we can force you the government can force you to drive 55 the government can force you to wear seat belts. The government can force you to have to be, uh, to be visually um, adept for you to drive a car because we license it. It's not a right that you get to drive a car. And as such, there's every reason to believe that since we already know broadcast television can reject any ads, that they deem inappropriate or they're too controversial, we certainly could restrict their licenses that you can run no political advertising 60 days out from an election. Or you can only run one ad per day from each candidate. We could restrict this. And all those people, all those politicians, will be sitting on a pile of money that they cannot spend. Because you can only spend so much on ground forces, on get out the vote. And so uh, we will find out today how that vote uh, went down. But um, remember, the reason why you hear none of this from your television machine is because they're the ones who are making all the money. Support independent media.
Finally, PBS Ombud Michael Gettler agrees that the Dow Chemical Corporation's sponsorship of the PBS series America Revealed violates PBS's underwriting guidelines. We told you about that series, which just happens to deal with issues like genetically modified food that closely track the business interests of its sole sponsor, Dow. Gettler received hundreds of messages inspired by a fair action alert, many of which, Gettler said, were quite comprehensive in their criticisms. Gettler argued that the funding arrangement fails PBS's own perception test, which warns against allowing underwriting if viewers might, quote, perceive that the underwriter has exercised editorial control, close quote, an idea which, he said, took about 30 seconds to pop into his, his head as a viewer. He points out that actual editorial involvement is a separate test. The perception of connection is enough to create a conflict. But PBS, not for the first time, appears unclear on its own guidelines. Their response to Gettler stressed that Dow was not editorially involved in the program. Indeed, they said it was station WGBH that approached Dow for sponsorship. They also pointed out that the company has sponsored other programming, including an evening with Smokey Robinson all of which is irrelevant if PBS takes seriously its own rules, which state that if a, quote, significant number of reasonable viewers conclude that PBS has sold its professionalism and independence to its program funders, whether or not their conclusions are justified, then the entire program service of public television will be suspect, and the goal of serving the public will be unachievable, close quote. Then again, if they do take that seriously, it means they believe a significant number of viewers, including their own ombud, are unreasonable. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as five dollars a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's happening again. We are embarking on another one of those national experiments in which everybody who watches conservative media, everybody who gets their TV news from the Fox News Channel, everybody who lives only on the right side of the dial, is about to start talking about things in our country in a way that makes no sense to anybody who does not watch Fox News. It's happening again. 
just like they did with Acorn, just like they did with the new Black Panther party, just like they did with the fake Sting videos about that guy who didn't actually wear a pimp suit into Planned Parenthood, just like they did with the Van Jones panic and the Shirley Sherrod panic and all these other stories that were not actual news, but which Fox News hyped for its audience until they became the most important stories in the country for their own audience, even as nobody else watching any other source of non-right-wing news had any idea what they were talking about. That is happening again. What they're doing this time is that they are trying to take us on a new national trip, like they've done before, but their new one involves accusing President Obama of terrorism. The president is a terrorist. They say he is a political terrorist. And not just, they're not just saying this on the sometimes wacky Fox News website, um, but they are saying this on their primetime programming. This is their wacky website reporting on what's been happening on their primetime programming. Uh, this is Frank Vandersloot. He's a national finance co-chair for the Mitt Romney for President campaign. He's one of Mitt Romney's gazillionaire campaign donors. Mr. Vandersloot's the CEO of an Idaho-based company. Uh, he has been politically active, particularly on issues surrounding gay rights in Idaho over the years. And he has not been on the pro-gay rights side of those matters. Uh, we've reported on uh, Mr. Vandersloot and his political activities uh, on this show twice. Once in February and once again earlier this month. Mr. Vandersloot is now the star of the new Fox News-hyped alternate reality conservative media scandal that makes sense to nobody outside the conservative media sphere. CEO of a health-related company says his business being attacked after he donated money to the Romney campaign. He gave a million dollars to a super PAC supporting Ben Romney and soon after found himself listed on an Obama campaign website. The campaign posted a website with the names of private citizens who gave big money to support Mitt Romney and described those donors in less than flattering terms. Flashing red sirens, Fox News <laughs> alert. Private citizens, if you donate to the Mitt Romney campaign, the President of the United States is coming after you. To be clear, what Fox News is talking about here is uh, a blog item posted on April 20th at a website called KeepingGOPHonest.com, which is part of the Obama campaign. The item profiles a number of the gazillionaires who are bankrolling Mitt Romney's effort to become president uh, in this post-Citizens United world that we are all living in, where donors can give infinitely. Frankly, getting to know your presidential candidate means getting to know their gazillionaire donors. And in Mitt Romney's case, among those donors is Frank Vandersloot. And he is not just a campaign donor, he is a campaign official. He is the national finance co-chair of Mitt Romney's presidential campaign. So he is not a random private citizen being dragged into the public arena. He's already in the public arena. He put himself there. He is a campaign official. And so his politics are totally germane to understanding the politics of the campaign the campaign of which he is an official. Still though, it, it, it is palpable. Fox News is so excited to have a possible new Barack Obama scandal to talk about that in some cases, it seems like they have just rushed to get the story onto the air before even they totally understand it, before even they have figured out the basic facts of their supposed scandal, case in point. So I want to get, I want the folks to know how intense this became for, for you. you. You're a big Obama fundraiser out in Idaho, correct? Uh, Romney. Right, right, you're a Romney supporter. It's Obama who's the bad guy. Right, got it, okay. 
Uh, Frank Vandersloot, as you just saw there, appearing with um, Fox News' Bill O'Reilly last night. Um, this is one of five segments Mr. Vandersloot has done on Fox in this little flurry of attention uh, so far, just in the past few days. But last night with Mr. O'Reilly, uh, he explained how this one blog post about him as a Romney campaign official, uh, he explained to Mr. O'Reilly how this has essentially ruined his life and his business. Did it impact your business directly? Well, it did right away. The first day, phone calls started coming in. We had customers who said they wanted to cancel, people who didn't Because understand. you were a mean guy. You are a rat. They wanted to cancel because you're just a lousy guy. They read that on the net. Well, they, they hit me first with, they said that I hated gay people and I was anti-gay. So you're anti-gay. So anybody who was buying your products who were gay said, I'm not going to buy a product from this guy. We have a lot of people we work with and right. deal with in the so business world. So they basically world. slimed you. They smeared you. They did? They slimed you as if you were anti-gay. They made that up out of whole cloth. Why would they say this untrue thing about you? It's not really a rhetorical question. That is a question with an answer, uh, which Mr. O'Reilly had at his fingertips in the form of transcripts from his own Bill O'Reilly TV show. Uh, as the website Media Matters first reported today, Mr. Vandersloot actually appeared on The O'Reilly Factor in August of 1999 to talk about his public campaign against the gay. Mr. Vandersloot had just helped finance these billboards to go up all across the state of Idaho, warning about a public television documentary there that promoted the, quote, homosexual lifestyle to Idaho kids. After helping to put up those billboards, Mr. Vandersloot appeared as a guest on The O'Reilly Factor to inveigh against efforts in Idaho to, quote, bring the homosexual lifestyle into the classroom and introduce it to our children as being normal, right, acceptable, and good. Mr. Vandersloot said of the documentary, quote, it's propaganda. Any child watching this film will conclude at least that this homosexual lifestyle is correct. He described homosexuality as, quote, contrary to the moral standards of our community and nation. All of that happened on Bill O'Reilly's TV show. So anybody who was buying your products who were gay said, oh, I'm not going to buy a product from this well, guy. We have a lot of people we work with and right. deal with in the business world. So they basically world. slimed you. They smeared you. They did? Dude, you have interviewed the guy before about what he thinks is so bad about being gay. It can't be a smear if it is a factual part of his record, which you put on the record. We asked Mr. Vandersloot um, about his involvement in that anti-gay billboard campaign in Idaho, and he, just this year, uh, gave us this statement. He said, quote, I am a strong supporter of the argument that gay and lesbian people should have the same rights as all other Americans. My argument against It's Elementary, the documentary, was not against the film itself, but with its intended audience. I don't believe that sexual concepts, either homosexual or heterosexual, should be introduced in our schools to first, second, and third graders. I would endorse It's Elementary for adults, but most Americans would agree it should not be shown to little kids. But again, Fox News has not bothered to let the details around this thing get in the way of the good story here, right? A, a good scandal about the president having some kind of enemies list. After a Wall Street Journal columnist named Kimberly Stressel wrote about Mr. Vandersloot being a victim of this enemies list, Fox News was so excited to put the new conservative media scandal on the air that they couldn't even figure out that Mr. Vandersloot was the supposed victim here and Kimberly Stressel was the columnist writing about him. Okay, so Kimberly Stressel is the person writing about Mr. Vandersloot. Mr. Vandersloot is supposed to be the Obama victim here. Writer, victim. Watch how they handled this on Fox. They're so excited they screw the whole thing up. 
There's also something about some uh, Romney supporters that I think is significant. This Kimberly Strassel is coming forward saying that she's been smeared uh, in her life because of her support for Mitt Romney's campaign. Her name down as a donor finds out that uh, there's super PACs going around in her background to find out what she does and what she does want to do. No, 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 no. That's not even, not even, cl not even close to what you want to be able to say. Kimberly Strassel isn't the donor. She's the person at Rupert Murdoch's Wall Street Journal who's been writing about the donor. And the donor is actually a campaign official, not just a donor. And his name is Frank. Kimberly's writing. It's a totally bad. Uh, Never mind. Fox News is very excited about this scandal that they have uncovered. This scandal um, that, as exciting as it may be, you should know is not true. It is, in fact, false. But the way it's unspooling is telling about our politics right now and about how the conservative media is working in our politics. Again, the claim from Fox News and from Mr. Vandersloot, the basic allegation here, the scandal that Fox News has discovered that you will soon see in an email from your crazy conservative uncle is that for the crime of being a Mitt Romney donor, Frank Vandersloot is now the victim of terrorism. Some believe this is economic terrorism, uh, not economic, political terrorism. That, that, that targeting a businessman like you, running an honest business, uh, because of your freedom to donate who you want to donate to, but try to ruin you personally and professionally, that's terrorism, political terrorism. Terrorism. President Obama, of course, in, the case is the, in this case, is the, is the terrorist. Because of what President Obama has done, uh, because, because of what Frank Vandersloot ha has done to support Mitt Romney, the allegation is that Frank Vandersloot is being singled out. It's hurting his business. People are asking all sorts of questions about his past. People are saying that he's anti-gay when he totally isn't. Barack Obama put Frank Vandersloot on an enemies list. He was targeted for retribution. You say, look, I'm just an honest businessman, all right? Now, what happened to your business in lieu of that? What happened? Well, when I first saw the list, I thought, oh, oh I, this is scary. And within hours of that, then all kinds of things started appearing on the Internet, uh, suggesting all kinds of accusations against me, uh, rewriting history, as it were, about all kinds of things I was supposedly guilty of. And um, did it impact your business directly? Well, it did right away. The first day, phone calls started coming in. And we had customers who said they wanted to cancel. We lost a couple hundred customers uh, so far, and then we started getting that turned around. See, according to Frank Vandersloot, as soon as President Obama put him on this enemies list, his business suffered. That's the scandal here. The president targets a private citizen, and then that private citizen's entire livelihood is threatened. Flashing red light, somebody called Drudge. But you have to know that, that whole line that a private citizen targeted, that private citizen's livelihood is threatened, his business is being affected, his private life is being pried into, that's also what he told us, too, months ago. Months before President Obama was even conceivably involved, before that blog post even appeared on the Internet. We heard from Mr. Vandersloot and his lawyers soon after we covered him on this program back in February. We reported on Mr. Vandersloot back then in his capacity as Mitt Romney's national finance co-chair. We discussed his history and political causes in Idaho, that billboard that we showed you earlier, as well as his efforts to discredit a gay journalist in Idaho whose reporting Mr. Vandersloot disagreed with. Mr. Vandersloot and his lawyers attacked our reporting. They asked us to pull it down off the web. They claimed specifically that our reporting on him had 
had hurt his business, that customers of his had called up and canceled based on our reporting, that we were to blame for his business suffering. That was in March. Now Mr. Vandersloot says none of that started happening until after President Obama's campaign blog mentioned him in late April. Mr. Vandersloot is changing his story. Well, when this list came out, when this, uh, there were only eight people on it, I was one of them, and so when I first learned that I was uh, on his enemies list, that really worried me at first, I'll tell you. And, and my first anticipation was that, yeah, I've got a target strapped to my back, and sure enough, then the attacks started coming. Then the attacks started coming, not when we reported on him back in February, and when other news outlets like Glenn Greenwald at Salon.com and Mother Jones reported on him back then, but rather in late April, right after President Obama's campaign re-election team posted that blog item on him. That's when it all started. Mr. Vandersloot has reinvented his story, and he is taking Fox News along for the ride. Well, he gave a million dollars to a super PAC supporting Ben Romney and soon after found himself listed on an Obama campaign website. CEO of a health-related company says his business being attacked after he donated money to the Romney campaign. The Romney campaign finance co-chair has reinvented this story now to say all of these repercussions for him and his private life and his business started months after he used to say they started. He's now saying that the stuff he started complaining about back in March actually didn't start until late April, until after the president got involved, and now the president is coming after him, and every American should be afraid of the president. Frank Vandersloot is not just the CEO of a health-related company in Idaho. He is not just a Mitt Romney supporter. He is not just some private citizen who has been targeted randomly by the Obama campaign because they're thugs. He is the national finance co-chair of the Mitt Romney campaign. He has been given a leadership position in the Mitt Romney campaign. He is an official in the Mitt Romney campaign. And whether he likes it or not, that makes him a public figure. That means that his record is up for public discussion, particularly given that he has chosen to involve himself in such political causes over the years. And Frank Vandersloot's role in this year's presidential campaign is that he will now be the star of the new Fox News scandal about Barack Obama. Five segments and counting so far on Fox News about how President Obama is a terrorist and the target of his terrorism is Frank Vandersloot. There have been five segments so far. Mr. Vandersloot has appeared in three of them. A private citizen who has nothing at all to do with politics other than being the national finance co-chair of the Mitt Romney campaign. Five segments and counting later, now Fox News has their brand new Barack Obama scandal. Some believe this is economic terrorism, uh, not economic, political terrorism. That, that, that targeting a businessman like you, running an honest business, uh, because of your freedom to donate who you want to donate to, but try to ruin you personally and professionally, that's terrorism, political terrorism. Frank Vandersloot, a victim of terrorism. Now, how do we wage counter-terrorism in this case? Very specific answer to that. Mr. Vandersloot, after all, is the national finance co-chair of the Mitt Romney for President campaign. That means his job is to raise money, and that is exactly what he has been doing with this story on Fox News. Watch. Here's your check to uh, restore our future, right? I, I think the only response hold to this, I think the only response is <laughs> to make another donation, another right. hundred thousand dollars, and uh, yes. I would like to invite everybody. I mean, if they want to attack me, I don't suppose this is going to like reduce the attacks. No, it'll probably um, accelerate them. But uh, you're you're a stand-up guy. Look, but, if Romney wins, you're being uh, what they call tall cotton. But I perhaps everybody else can donate in peace. We thought we were done with our donations. We thought we had done our part, but uh, clearly. Um, 
we're going to stand up and get more involved in this campaign. And we hope that other people will join us in that. Everybody should get out their checkbooks. Everybody should get out your checkbooks? Oh, that's how this ends. That's where this goes. Giving Mitt Romney money is what Frank Vandersloot and Fox News say is the cure for this victimization tale that he appears to have reinvented out of thin air. Get ready for that email from your crazy uncle about this. It is coming. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Danny Herrera. The co-hosts of Fox and Friends were in disbelief this week when a Washington Post-ABC presidential poll showed the country equally divided over who would do a better job handling the economy. These are Washington Post-ABC polls. Who would, be, uh, who would do a better job? Uh, handling the economy. This is unbelievable. It's, it's a dead heat. Uh, President Obama, 47%. Mitt Romney, 47%. Why is that unbelievable? Someone wake up. Uh, well, Stuart Varney just passed out. Uh, someone get someone get some. Revive him. He's got to do the next segment. All right. That's incredible. <laughs> Why are you so surprised? How could there be a dead heat? The economy, $16 trillion in debt? No question. Oh, I agree with you, Brian. I, it's, it's, it's shocking. It makes you wonder. At what point will Fox News stop claiming it's fair and balanced and just admit they're an arm of the Republican Party? Broadcasting and Cable reported May 22nd that MSNBC Hardball host Chris Matthews told a cable industry conference that because of the rise of opinion-based news cable networks and the diminished role of non-opinion media, that, quote, reporting that verified the U.S. administration's claims about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq in 2002 would not happen today because of cable news, close quote. According to Broadcasting and Cable, Matthews said, quote, I would like to think there would be a reckoning we didn't have then because of modern media. 24-7 is good because it's not only breadth, it's depth. Without cable, it's just network television thinking, embedded thinking, which is dangerous in a democracy, close quote. Hmm, Matthews seems unaware that cable news channels existed in 2002, such as Fox, CNN, and MSNBC, where a guy named Chris Matthews posed the question about anti-war marchers, those people out in the streets, do they hate America? His guest at the time, Cliff May, answered that he was afraid that a lot of them do. Indeed, MSNBC was a fountain of credulous pro-war propaganda, as were the other two cable networks. There was one strong anti-war voice, and his show was on MSNBC, where it was the most highly rated show on the channel. That was Phil Donahue, who was canceled, as it was later revealed, by an internal NBC memo because of his show's anti-war content. And what was Chris Matthews doing at the time? 
Reportedly, he was going to management to lobby to get Donahue off the air. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Oftentimes you see uh, the mainstream media with the assumption that it's a center-right country here in the United States. Well, I always tell you that's not true. In fact, when you look poll by poll, issue by issue, the country is solidly and fundamentally progressive. Well, there's now more data from a variety of different polls on a variety of different issues, which once again proves that point. First, let's start nice and simple. We've got a Gallup poll on contraception. You know, there's been all this huge hubbub and the Catholic leadership sending letters to President Obama, the Republicans saying, oh my God, you know, the contraception can't be allowed at these religious institutions, etc. Well, just on the core issue of contraception, uh, well, how many Americans are in favor of it? Yeah, that would be 89% of all Americans. 82% of Catholics are on board, and 90% of non-Catholics are on board. Now, no one's surprised by this, but it's nice to show uh, to politicians uh, who believe that this is a really important issue in America. God, you know, it's got to be, you got to let the religious institutions make sure that they discriminate even against non-Catholics in not allowing contraception because they believe it is immoral. Well, if they do, they're in a tiny, tiny minority of the country. Okay, now we move on to marijuana. Well, in the mainstream media, you hear that, oh, you can't even think about legalizing marijuana. The Democrats aren't really in favor of it. The Republicans are obviously dead set against it. Oh my God, that's a fringe thing. No, 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 the American people are against that, except for the fact that they are totally in favor of that. Turns out in a new Rasmussen poll, which is a conservative polling organization, 56% say they favor legalization and regulation like you would with tobacco and with alcohol. Only 36% oppose legalization. That's not medical marijuana. That's all marijuana. 56 to 36. Crushing victory. Legalize it. And th those numbers are soaring. They were, you know, just 47, 42 a couple of months ago in March. It was only a five point difference. Now it's a 20 point difference in the same polling organization. Gallup also had it at 50% and rising in a different poll. So the country in favor of legalizing marijuana, although almost none of our politicians are. Well, I'm glad we live in a democracy. And then you move on to uh, other issues. So, for example, uh, pro-choice, pro-life. Now, here, here's a situation. Well, it appears that the country is right-wing. And it's like, whoa, you're going to hear these first set of numbers, and you say, well, that's kind of depressing. So, first of all, pro-choice, 41%. That's it. In fact, 50% describe themselves as pro-life. There you have it. Center-right, right-wing country. Okay? So, uh, I was wrong, right? Wrong again, Bob. <laughs> of course I'm right. Because what has happened is the words have gotten loaded. 
And so people think like, oh my God, a pro-choice position. Now that means you're in favor of abortion. Well, I'm against that. No, no, no. I'm pro-life. I wouldn't do an abortion. No, no, no. You're misunderstanding the question. If you're pro-choice, if you think that women should be have the choice on whether they should have their abortion or not, that should be their decision, or whether it should be illegal and not their decision. Well, when they ask that question, 72% of Americans believe that abortion should be legal. 72%. That's the real number for pro-choice. Only 25% say illegal in all circumstances. And there's the middle ground that say illegal and legal in, uh, under some circumstances. But 72% is a giant percentage of the country saying, yes, it should be legal. Okay? So are we clear enough on that? The country, fundamentally progressive. So, by the way, uh, I was watching Meet the Press, or as I like to call it, Press the Meet. And uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, David Gregory actually still hosts that show. They haven't fired him yet, which is amazing. Uh, it's amazing how he's always there and yet never shows up. <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing. So here he is. He has Dick Durbin on, and they're talking about uh, the, the problems of our, how, fixing our economy, fixing the entitlements. So and by the way, Dick Durbin's great. Dick Durbin. Uh, Dick Durbin's pretty good. Pretty good guy. Pretty good, although he, he's, you know what, you're going to hear a lot of talk about people saying, uh, I back Simpson's Bulls, Simpson Bulls. And what Simpson Bulls was, was a deficit commission appointed by Barack Obama. And they figured out that the best way to cut the deficit was to also cut Social Security, something that doesn't add to the deficit. That was, that was part of their plan. And when asked uh, Alan Simpson why he did that, he uh, said, get out of my face, you're a son of a bitch. Something like that, yeah. he uh, said to the reporter. Uh, and uh, so they won't answer those questions about why they – and so even though Dick Durbin is generally a good guy, the debate has shifted so far to the right that somebody who is endorsing the Simpson-Bowles plan for deficit reduction is now seen as a lefty. All right, and Simpson Bowles could not have been a more. You know, we said this before: mm -hmm. is that uh, the the republic? This is not your republic, your dad's Republican Party. Right. This is not. This is not Eisenhower. No. This is not Barry Goldwater. It's not even. It's not Nixon. It's not even Nixon. Nixon believed. Or he, Reagan even. Nixon started the EPA. Nixon proposed universal health coverage. Eisenhower. <laughs> famously said, uh, I saw a thing on Facebook the other day where yeah. Eisenhower, uh, they had a quote from Eisenhower, and I'll paraphrase it, and it was like, any politician who wants to get away with Social Security, Medicare, or unions doesn't have a long life in this country. Mm -hmm. It always seems to be one of those billionaire oil men from Texas who think that's a good idea. Right. And then they have him right next to Ron Paul, who says, we need to get rid of Medicare, Social Security. Uh, and, and so it's this, these are not the same kind of Republicans that we're used no. to have. So, and, and he also told us to beware of the military-industrial complex. He, he certainly and did. it will come under the guise of patriotism, something like that? Or was that something else? He I'm famously said, beware of the powers of the military-industrial, the undue influence. And well, that's when our country was hampered by people uh, making military decisions who'd actually been in the military. <laughs> yes, mm -hmm. You People know, who as are opposed to the chicken hawks we have now. What you don't consider serving in the military, having read a Tom Clancy novel? <laughs> <laughs>
Well, also, and by, by the way, the you know, if you look at that Kennedy speech on religion, the the people who had him there weren't asking to see if he would put forward religion. They were there to make sure they were religious people making sure he wasn't going to bring religion yes. to the presidency. Correct. So no, this isn't the same party. You know, this isn't even the same country. Like there aren't even moderate Republicans left. I can't even name one. Uh, uh, Barack Obama would be the only re- moderate Republican I can think of. And so the re- the entirety of the Republican Party is this radical right, extreme right wing party right now. Yes. And the moderate Republicans are called Democrats. Yeah, they're Democrats. Yeah, there is no Democrat. When I was a kid, there were people like, you know, in, in New York, Jacob Javits was a Republic, ran on the Republican and the liberal line. Uh, John Lindsay, Republican and liberal. Nelson Rockefeller. Republican um, and liberal. Dennis yeah. Kucinich is the only one I can think of that, that is has true liberal cred. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certainly Maxine Waters and people like that. There's the Black Caucus. Um, but that's about it. And then the rest of the party seems to be a blue dog, very much like Barack Obama. Well, Dick, Dick Durbin, who's a senator, who's, um, again, we were talking about how he's a good guy, but he's also uh, on board with Simpson Bowles, which is a very conservative uh, deficit reduction. So here he is talking to David Gregory. 10,000 people reach the age of 65 today and yesterday and tomorrow. And for the next 18 years, these men and women who have paid into Medicare and Social Security are now reaching retirement. The obvious question of Mitt Romney is, what would you do with those people? I know what the Paul Ryan budget would do. It would basically say Medicare is going to be a different program. It's going to be a a support program. We'll hand you a check and good luck finding health insurance in the open market. That, to me, does not give people security in their retirement. It is not a, a boost of confidence for their children. Wow, that's a great point. He made great; Those are great points he makes, and let's see how David Gregory handles it. Government has an appropriate role to do those things we can't do by ourselves. But don't we Whether also have an obligation in government, Governor, to say to the citizens, you have to understand reality, even though we've made a promise, there is a fiscal reality to this program that can't be sustained. <laughs> so there's That's the, a question he's never asked of a military leader ever. Ever. Ever he's you know, the reality of oh you know he's how, how can we how can we afford a twelve year war in Afghanistan yeah. how can we afford a ten year war in Iraq he's never said that the reality the fiscal reality is general that we can't afford that he's never said you're exactly right Frank exactly but he says we can afford endless wars and without ever having a discussion mm. or a debate we've never mm. even debated funding the goddamn uh, wars. We can do that, but we can't give medicine to our own citizens. Right, right. Somehow we just can't we, find the money. We can fund a perceived threat, but we can't fund an actual threat. Right, right. right. Exactly. So this is uh, – first, uh, first of all, I think, Robert, you asked me, how did David Gregory get a job reporting for the Penny Saver, let alone hosting the prestigious <laughs> network news show? You know, even high on airplane glue, I can think of three things that are wrong with what David Gregory said. Okay? Uh, <laughs> First of all, it's the government has the responsibility to explain complex issues to its citizens. That's great. But I'm pretty sure this would be the first time they actually did it. Mm -hmm. Doesn't the government have the responsibility to explain? No, they never do any of that stuff. The government hasn't even explained to them how Obamacare works. Mm -hmm. They're not explaining to them that it's good for them. No. uh, 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 Also, I'm pretty sure that that really sums up more than anything that we've said over the last year. You know, that just that exasperation is is the most condensed version of what this show is trying to get across. It's it's 
it's very frustrating to hear a guy like David Gregory, who has paid millions of dollars, to sit there and just parrot what corporate mouthpieces have told him to say. And that's all he's doing. It, that, that is not an insightful will, comment. Is, that I'm, is conventional wisdom 1,000%. I'm not making this up. Uh, uh, several weeks ago, they were talking about the Occupy movement, and he brought in that great progressive thinker, Jack Welch. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. To talk. So it is, like you said, it's all just protecting the corporations and um, I mean he works for a defense contractor quo. I mean yeah. David Gregory let's remember he works for a sure he but doesn't he doesn't have to because there are so you know Rachel Maddow works for a defense contractor and uh, Melissa Harris Perry and Chris Hayes right and Lawrence O'Donnell and Ed Schultz but they are they actually express progressive views so but, it's really it's, it's but they're only talking to other progressives uh-huh. and that's the difference so I think General Electric doesn't care what they're mm. saying because they're saying it in a bubble and also the the network is profitable. Yeah. So, the, and as soon as they say, as soon as Rachel Maddow or or any of those Ed Shields says anything mm-hmm. that causes them to lose money over at General Electric's defense mm-hmm. contracting part or General Electric's bank, as soon as they say anything that makes them lose money, they will be fired. They right. will be silenced, mm-hmm. just like they silenced Phil Donahue, mm-hmm. the number one show on their network, and during the run up to the Iraq War, and they fired him because he was anti Iraq War. And yeah. they're defense contractors. Plus, they're selling soap also and all kinds of other stuff. And they don't need that. They don't, they don't need any anti-status quo stuff on their airwaves. And that's what David Gregory does. If you ever want to know what the status quo is, just turn on Meet the Press, and he'll tell you. You can get it from either David Gregory or Brian Williams on, M- uh, and, on, on NBC. NBC. Yes. Uh, and you can get it from George Stephanopoulos on ABC. Don't, don't bag on uh, Brian Williams, because he's really funny in some sketches. <laughs> <laughs> So let me just sum up what, Gre- what, what David Gregory is suggesting is that we tell our senior citizens, hey, you paid into this program your entire life, but, you know, sorry, yeah, sorry. And how would that be different than the United States defaulting on its own debt? How would that be different from the United States failing to deliver goods and services for which payment was already received? How would that be different from the United States government saying, hey, you know that money you gave us for your doctor bills? Well, we spent it on tax cuts for the wealthy, a war in Iraq, a bank bailout. So um, good fucking luck, buddy. That's what David Gregory... <laughs> face reality, people. Yeah, we have to face reality. We can't afford it. And it has not dawned on David Gregory or any of those other dimwits on that show what insurance company would, ins- what insurance company would insure today's elderly Americans in the first place. The most expensive patients in the history of the world, they're going to get private insurance. The fiscal reality, David, is that the Paul Ryan plan would end up taking health care away from seniors altogether because the health care allowance would have nowhere to go. Seniors without appropriate health insurance would end up wiping out huge amounts of wealth in the American middle class. The estate tax would cease to be an issue because there wouldn't be anyone leaving behind $2 million estates anymore. And I don't know. If the government has an obligation to say Medicare can't be fiscally sustained, but I know journalists have an obligation not to ask loaded questions based on obviously false assumptions. You're a disaster. Does anything matter to you? Do you ever slow down? Touch your feet to the ground underneath. Faster and faster, straight for disaster. You're a disaster, and I may fall. 
So pull up your socks or crash into the rocks. You're headed for what are you after? If not disaster. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Danny Herrera. Bill O'Reilly is criticizing President Obama's campaign for scrutinizing Mitt Romney's record at Bain Capital. O'Reilly thinks the strategy reinforces the belief that President Obama is a socialist. I don't believe that this is a winner for President Obama to attack capitalism through Mitt Romney's performance at Bain. Wall Street Journal's all over him, and that's the most widely read newspaper in the country. Um, it just looks like it reinforces some people's belief that the president is a socialist. He doesn't like capitalism. You know that's out there. You know it's a theme. Fox contributor Kristen Powers pushed back on the claim, but didn't note Fox's role in cultivating an audience that actually believes this. Well, the only people who think he's a socialist are people who are on the fringe and who are never going to vote for him. Um, I'd also say that he's not attacking capitalism. The New York Times had what seemed to be a first look at a massive new anti-Obama TV ad campaign by Karl Rove's Crossroads GPS outfit. Readers learned about the lengthy focus group research that went into crafting the ad. We learned that the group planned to spend $25 million to air it. We were told at some length about how the usually bare-knuckled strategists behind the ad had to tread lightly given the president's still high likability ratings. Is the ad truthful? That the story doesn't say. Though actually it sort of implies that it is, calling it, quote, a deeply researched, delicately worded story of a struggling family, close quote. But deeply researched, it isn't. The ad makes arguments standard on talk radio. Obama's racked up a job-killing debt, and private health insurance is more expensive because of Obamacare. The facts are different. Federal spending has been increasing far more slowly under Obama than under most other recent presidents, as CBS MarketWatch pointed out. And the increase in debt has far less to do with spending than the economic crash, the Bush tax cuts, and the wars. Even USA Today did a story noting that Obamacare did not cause health insurance premiums to skyrocket. One percentage point of the nine-point increase was due to the law, according to the Kaiser Foundation. We've been warned for months that we'll be swimming in political ads this election season. We hope newspapers will see fact-checking as a key job.
Chris Hayes has a program uh, on MSNBC. It's on the weekends. It's called Up with Chris Hayes. It's actually a great show. Uh, they have intelligent conversations about uh, real issues in the country. And apparently, from time to time, that gets them in trouble. Because uh, during Memorial Day weekend, uh, they had a discussion about what it means to be a hero. Uh, they weren't questioning the troops. Chris wasn't. Uh, he was just questioning the idea of calling all the troops heroes and whether that leads to more of a pro-war mindset. It's a really interesting question. Let's let uh, him explain. It is, I think, very difficult to talk about the war dead and the fallen without invoking valor, without invoking the words heroes. Um, and why do I feel so comfortable about the word hero? I feel comfortable, uncomfortable about the word hero because it seems to me that it is so rhetorically proximate to justifications for more war. Um, and I don't want to obviously desecrate or disrespect the memory of anyone that's, that's fallen. And obviously there are individual circumstances in which there is genuine and tremendous heroism, of, you know, hail of gunfire and rescuing fellow soldiers and things like that. But it seems to me that we, we marshal this word in a way that um, is problematic. But maybe I'm wrong about that. So agree or disagree, it's a really interesting point about the priorities that we have in this country. What happens next, of course, is irony because everyone attacks Chris Hayes for daring to How could you possibly suggest that? You have to bow your head, call everyone in the military heroes because war is awesome, the Pentagon is the greatest, our soldiers are all heavenly. Now look, the guys who died, do we all feel sick about what happened? Of course, we're the ones who didn't want them to die in the first place. Whereas the Republicans sent him into wars willy-nilly like that disaster in Iraq. And then they pretend to be on their side, please, right? Now the question is, how do you treat war overall? It's a really interesting and intelligent conversation, but not the kind we have in the United States. So of course the veterans of foreign wars flip out and cannot believe that Chris uh, Hayes said this. Here we go, let's look at a second clip here. They also give up their own agency in a certain way that I think is, a, is for, again, a liberal caricature like myself, seems very difficult to comprehend, submitting to the, you know, submitting so totally to what the, the, the electorate or people in power are going to decide about how to, how to use your body, but they do that all a full volition. And th yeah, I don't, I, I, if the word hero is not right, I, there's, there's something about that that is, well, I think, noble, right? So, interesting uh, point number two, which is, hey, listen, you know, they give up their free will in a sense when they join the army because you got to follow those rules. No ands or buts. Could you do that? I don't know. Could I do that? I don't know. And is that does that make you more noble and heroic, or does it make you part of the war machine? It's a good question. No, we can't have it. Uh, veterans of foreign wars demand an apology. They call it insipid and callous. They go on Fox News blasting away. And of course, uh, that means that uh, Chris has to come out and apologize. But of course, it's not just Fox News. Here comes Donnie Deutsch on NBC's Today Show. Let's watch this guy. I, I, I'm repulsed. I mean, you know, I just I hope that he doesn't get more viewers as a result of this. To say that. And by the way, this guy is like a, if you see what he looks like, he looks like a weenie. And, you know, to sit there where these guys are risking their lives, they are heroes. Beginning, middle, end of story. I don't know what the other side is on. Oh, and that's classy, dude, by the way, put up his picture. Because he must have told the producers ahead of time, hey, I'm going to make fun of the way he looks, so have his picture ready, right? And because Donnie Deutsch, he's a really tough guy. Remember all those wars that he served in? Remind me which ones those were again, Donnie? 
Because you're not a weenie, right? Because you're really tough. Because what's really tough is protecting power, protecting the Pentagon, protecting wars. That's really tough. That takes a lot of courage and bravery. Okay? And beating up on a guy who's actually trying to ask an interesting question. No! Yeah, he's a weenie. Look at that loser. He actually thinks. Donnie, congratulations. You don't think. You're really, really tough that way. So, of course, MSNBC has to back down. Here comes Chris Hayes with an apology. On Sunday, in discussing the use of the word hero to describe those members of the armed forces who have given their lives, I don't think I lived up to the standards of rigor, respect, and empathy for those affected by the issues we discuss that I've set for myself. I am deeply sorry for that. And I gotta be honest, I am deeply sorry that Chris has to make this apology. Have the conversation, okay? Don't shut down the conversation. Here's a perfectly normal response to what Chris had. Hey, you know what, Chris? You're, you're right that it's an interesting question as to whether we're propping up war by calling everybody who died in a war a hero, whether that glorifies more war. But at the same time, you have to understand, obviously, as Chris does and explain in the segment, hey, you know what? These guys gave their lives for their country. And even if it was a mistaken war like Iraq, they thought they were doing, had the best, they did have the best of intentions and thought they were doing uh, the best thing that they could for their country, what their country asked them to do. That's a normal conversation, nothing wrong with that conversation. No, here comes the second round of profusely apologizing. In the end, Chris also says, but in seeking to discuss the civilian-military divide and the social distance between those who fight and those who don't, I ended up reinforcing it, conforming to a stereotype of a removed pundit whose views are not anchored in the very real and very wrenching experience of this long decade of war, and for that, I am truly sorry. Now, once again, what I'm sorry about is that this whole conversation has unfortunately conformed to exactly what Chris was trying to fight in the first place, which is do not question any part of the military for any reason. Bow your heads. It was a decent question to begin with. I will not bow my head and I will not apologize for it. I didn't do it, but I think it was a discussion worth having and I'm glad Chris brought it up in the first place. I'm sorry to see that he had to apologize for it. There's something sick about the way that these apologies are forced upon people. Black leather boots, spit shine so bright. They cut off my hair, but it looks all right. We marched down, we sang, we all became friends. As we learned how to fight A hero of war Yeah, that's what I'll be And when I come home They'll be damn proud of me I'll carry this flag To the grave if I must Cause it's a flag that I love And a flag a new study, well actually not a new study, a study that we talked about, uh, I think it was in 2011 by Fairleigh Dickinson University, identified that Fox News viewers knew the least about what was going on in the news of all news viewers. Now that initial uh, study was based only on New Jersey residents, so they've repeated the study, Lewis, with a national uh, group of people. What do you think the results were? The same. <laughs> exactly right. Yet another study confirms that people who watch Fox News are less informed than everybody else. The poll asked questions 
about international news like Iran, Egypt, Syria, and Greece, and also domestic affairs. So questions about the Republican primary, Congress, unemployment, Keystone XL pipeline. The pollsters found that people were usually able to answer 1.8 out of 4 questions on foreign news and 1.6 out of 5 on domestic news. What do you think of that, Lewis? Uh, pretty bad. Okay, pretty now bad. if you look at people who don't watch any news, they were able to get 1.22 questions right on domestic policy. Now what about people who watch Fox News? Uh, let's go, uh, this is out of 5, was it? Uh, this is out of 4. Out of 4? Let's go... Uh, 3.4. No, Lewis, that would be higher than what I just said. Oh, you're saying Fox now? Yeah. Okay, I don't know. What? Okay, so so let's back up because I don't want... Wait a minute, okay, okay. No, <laughs> you, you already stated the numbers from Fox, didn't okay. you? No. So, the, if, if <laughs> people who watch no news at all get 1.22 out of four questions right. People who primarily watch Fox News only get 1.04 out of four questions right. In other words, if you watch no news at all, you're probably more informed, at least based on the reality of, of, of domestic policy, than watching Fox News. Okay. So, a lot of misinformation. Yeah, no question. And this is part of that disinformation campaign that we know is common to Fox News. On the other hand, you know who really answered more questions correctly? People who watch The Daily Show with Jon Stewart or listen to NPR. Those are the people who did the best in the study. But of course, it's not because they watch it, it's because obviously the type of person that watches those shows are Exactly. The, the people that, that primarily watch out of the list that was presented, Daily Show or Listen to NPR, are already going in with more knowledge you know, from written media, internet, etc., than are those who are prim primarily getting their news from Fox News. No question about it. Those who primarily watch Fox News tend to only watch <laughs> Fox News. Because everything else is liberally biased, and if they watch other stuff or listen to other stuff, they're going to go into it assuming they're simply being brainwashed. Fair and balanced, David. Fox News is fair and balanced. Jay from Vermont. This is Abby. I've been listening for at least a year. Um, I just want to give listeners a little heads up about an LGBT story that's been in the news. You haven't mentioned it, um, but there's a band called Against Me, and their lead singer um, just came out as transgender, and she's she's done it like in a she did it in Rolling Stone, very public. And so I gave them a listen out of solidarity, and it turns out they are. They're fantastic. And their song's about Robert McNamara. And so they're going on tour. They're starting on tour. Um, and I think fans should show their support. They're pretty fantastic. Anyway, against me. Thank you. Hi, Jay. This is Jamie from Atlanta. I just finished listening to your last show um, and uh, heard the voicemail from uh, Dan from Chicago. And I just wanted to say... Uh, Thanks for putting that on, and thanks for Dan knowing it. I'm not gay, and I don't really have that many gay friends, but that's more from circumstance than anything. I've been interested in equality rights for LGBTs and uh, keeping a close eye on you know what's going on with same-sex marriage, and everything. but these don't really affect me personally uh, in, in my life, um, except for you know when I 
get upset with people being uh, discriminated against just because of who they are. But um, Dan's phone call really brought something home to me. And in a way that uh, very much surprised me. And I really can't even think of a way to uh, to put it into words, or at least not in, into a phone call. So um, I just wanted to uh, say thanks again for uh, for playing that, Jay, and thank you again, Dan, for uh, telling the story and and making it through. Um, it was tough to hear. Uh, I bet it was even tougher for you. All. And Jay, uh, thanks for the show. You're doing a great job. I believe I have to renew my membership. I think it's coming up next month, and I will certainly make sure I do that. So thanks very much, and carry on. Hey, Jay. This is Max calling in from the People's Republic of Davis, California. Um, it sounded like your brother uh, asked a really probing and important question about uh, the rhetoric of the 1% uh, in regards to America and 1% in regards to the world. The way I see it is that, you know, this 99% 1% rhetoric is a pretty easy sell for Americans, for American ears, American audiences, because this idea that, okay, once we redistribute wealth, things will be better for us, for, for the majority of Americans, things will improve. That's, you know, an easy message to sell. But the reason why we're having this conversation is that it's a harder thing to sell when you say, well, if we really distributed wealth throughout the world, all of our standards of living would probably go down a whole lot. However, I think what's important here is that one of the main causes of global inequality are the corporate policies of the American corporate state. I don't think I need to explain to the listeners of the show that obviously corporations have undue influence on our laws, on our policies, especially on our international trade policies, and that creates an entire world of inequality. So once we get a handle on the nature of our government and make it more representative of the people, we can start re redistributing wealth in our country, then I think we can talk about reorganizing the world in that image, but we have to get there first. Regardless, I fear that I've gone on too long, but I hope I've answered your question, um, and I'm looking forward to hearing this conversation play out. Thanks, Jay. Keep up the good work, as always. Hey, this is uh, Brett from Omaha. I was just calling uh, as it pertains to your question about outsourcing and the global distribution of wealth. Um, I just wanted to chime in and say that, um, personally, I think that the problem globally is, is obviously global capitalism and neoliberalism and with transnational corporations, you know, who are not bound by the constraints of national borders. It's just capitalism gone abroad. And it's a relatively new thing in socioeconomic global history, but I think it's an important thing because it's um, capital is in constant search of cheaper pools of labor. So this forces them to try to exploit poor people in poor countries for their own economic gains. And uh, there's an inherent conflict here because whenever one country has, you know, workers' rights or gets up to a, a level that we on the left would consider civilized, where the workers actually have a say in how they're treated, um, you, you, you begin to diminish profits for corporations. So, of course, naturally, they go elsewhere. Um, this just causes workers to fight among workers. You have, you know, Americans blaming illegal immigrants for taking their jobs or blaming the Chinese for taking our jobs. When in reality, it's this global 1%. Um, that is that is behind it all, and I don't want to sound like a 
conspiracy theorists. I don't believe in Bilderberg Group or uh, NWO or anything like that. I just think it's the way capitalism works and profits over time just funnel to the top. The only way that we can change it, uh, my personal opinion, is we have to change something fundamental about capitalism. Because as long as human beings are subject to the supply, or to the dictates of supply and demand, as long as human beings and the environment are seen as commodities, you're always going to have a problem like this, where the environment's being degraded, human beings' lives, you know, or as workers globally are being degraded, we're losing work jobs here, they're gaining them over there, but they're paying them less, they have less work worker rights. It's all the product of capitalism. And I think that in order to change anything, we're going to have to do something crazy and radical and fundamental about the system in which we exist globally. Uh, this is my two cents. Thanks, Dave. Keep it up. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So Netroots Nation is coming up. Uh, this is uh, this will be my third one, and it it's starts on the 6th, so it's only a couple of days away, and I really don't think I've mentioned it up until now. I, I mean, this year has just been abnormal in a whole lot of ways, but I, I haven't promoted it ahead of time. But uh, I'm going to be there meeting all sorts of people, I'm sure, uh, but also hanging out with like David Pakman and Aaron Waisaki from the Young Turks. And we'll be talking about our blue media and all sorts of uh, interesting things like that. So uh, that's where I'll be coming up in a couple of days. And so if you are attending the conference or just you know, live in the neighborhood and you want to meet up, like that's happening, we'll be there. Uh, so you should get in touch. But, uh, you know, Net Netroots is really gaining a special place in my heart, not for the panel discussions and not for the keynote speakers and, and all of that. But it's it's the one time a year when I you know meet up with these you know colleagues of mine who I don't see the rest of the time. You know, we live in totally separate parts of the country. But last year, Net Roots is where our blue media really took hold. That's where the conversations really started. Because when you have a chance to hang out with someone and then you chit chat until 2 a.m., then you end up having interesting conversations that develop into interesting ideas that become things like our blue media. So, so I'm excited uh, that that was the sort of idea that came about last year. So I'm really excited to dive back in and have those same sorts of conversations again this year. Speaking of our blue media, though, uh, the fundraiser just ended, and you know, as as I've been talking about, we set a goal for fifteen thousand dollars. We hit that goal in about two weeks, and then uh, and then the fundraiser ran for another two weeks. It was a full month fundraiser, and you guys and and listeners of the David Pakman show and the Young Turks and every other show that we managed to get to promote it ended up donating more than nineteen and a half thousand dollars towards the production of our blue media and I could not be more excited about it you know all of that money is going to go to building the site making it as as good as it can be you know funding whatever it takes to run it you know not to get into details, but you know that's that's where the money is going. So thanks to everyone who da donated. That is really genuinely far exceeded our expectations, and so we're we're grateful to everyone who believes in our idea. And believe me, we are as anxious as anyone to get it up and running. So we're working hard on that behind the scenes, and uh, and you'll be getting all the updates as they're available. So that's it for today. I just want to thank everyone who supports the show by becoming a member, a recurring uh, paying member, or a one-time donor to the show. That is absolutely how the show survives. 
Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it or by spreading the word of individual clips that you uh, enjoy during the show. That can all be done in the show notes. You can share it through your social networks or by email and so on. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning